Welcome to This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for 23 years. By day, I'm a process analyst in the power industry, and by night, I'm an author, blogger, and virtual assistant. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had type 1 for 7 years. I love hiking and painting, and I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 7 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking about insurance and non-medical switching, which is related to insurance. So this is something I had to study and learn about, especially when I got my first job. But first, we've got to report a win of the week, which is mine. So my win of the week is on Monday, I had basically perfect blood sugars like all day. And I've been trying to fine tune my nighttime basils to prevent going high at midnight. And I'm getting closer, but not quite there yet. I'm also having like a weird dip in the middle of the night too that I need to figure out. But it was really nice not to have any alarms and to have that really nice flat line. Very nice. Why do you think you're having like a high at the middle of the night? You know, I'm not sure. I like, I I don't have any active insulin at that time. And my basal is decently high compared to the previous time period. So I don't know what's going on going into it, Hmm. but I'll figure it out eventually. Oh, I'm sure you will. (laughs) So what's your fail of the week? So basically it's not just a fail of the week. This whole week has just been a constant fail after fail after fail. So the reason why all of this started was because I accidentally left bubbles in my reservoir, which I didn't see when I checked it and made sure there wasn't any. So I was above 250 all of that day. So I was like, okay, I'll just change it out because I thought I was just having like an off day. So I changed it out and my blood sugars came right back down. I drank some water and I went to bed. And then at 3 a.m., my blood sugar dropped to 46. Ouch. So that was fun. And then let's see what else. I broke my pump yesterday. So some of the threading where the reservoir is held in place broke off. And it was fine because not all of the threads broke off. So my reservoir still stayed in place, but... I had to get a new one the next day. So So they overnighted it? Yeah, they overnighted it. I had a doctor's appointment, a diabetic doctor's appointment this morning. And then by the time we got back, maybe an hour after we got back, I had a new pump. Very nice. So, yeah, it was good. I mean, it's a good learning experience. And, you know, everything lined up to where I was just able to get into the doctor's office to make sure, you know, everything was good. and then they just overnighted it. That's good. You know, I would argue that you didn't break the pump. The pump just broke. Oh, no, I broke the pump. Oh, you did? I dropped it. Oh. Like, it's one of those accidents where you're holding your phone and then you just accidentally drop your phone. Same concept. It's like, why did my hand just release this? I know. It's like a weird hand twitch thing. Like, you're just like, oh, I have to drop this right now or else something bad is going to happen. <laughs> I just like it came unclipped actually and then it just fell. Okay. So So 
Medtronic pumps are pretty hardy. I dropped my old Medtronics a lot and they never did that, but maybe they've gotten a little bit more delicate. Well, I've had this pump for five years. Oh, okay. So it's been dropped a couple of times. I wasn't all that surprised that it broke. Like, you know, eventually they do break and, you know, it just happened. Yes. So it was basically at the end of its life anyway. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, before we dive into our episode, I want to have a little disclaimer here that I would rather deal with American insurance than any other country's insurance, despite its shortfalls. So America actually innovates the best treatments, best therapies, best devices. And because of all of that, we kind of pay a premium, no pun intended. And that being said, the only thing I like about the Affordable Care Act is that I got to stay on my dad's really good insurance until I turned 26 earlier this year. And I've also been really blessed to always have really good insurance, so I can't exactly speak about the financial difficulties from a personal standpoint. I'm hoping that this episode should help diabetics who are confused about what insurance is and anybody else who's confused about insurance, because honestly, insurance is confusing, uh, how it works, and then why some options are better than others. And we're coming from the perspective of corporate employer insurance and not the healthcare exchange, which is a little bit more complicated and not something that either of us have experience with. I'm guessing that the pieces are the same, but the costs are a lot higher. I agree. So I'm on the Boeing insurance. So like Colleen said, I'm on the corporate insurance plan. And so since Boeing is like an international company and it's so well known, it has great insurance. So in that perspective, I am very blessed to be on the Boeing insurance plan and everything. So I agree. Yep. And I was on that Boeing insurance for 26 years and it was really good. It is. So how does insurance work? This is the big question that almost all kids or teenagers or anyone has to ask about insurance. Basically, insurance is based on a fee-for-service, not on the level of treatment of service. So a fee-for-service is, for example, providing an insulin pump or providing insulin from a pharmaceutical company through the insurance companies. And then a level of insurance is like providing cancer treatment, but not providing like other treatments for diabetes per se. So in America, we have insurances based on fee for service and not level of service or type of service that they're providing you. Okay. So there's a lot of different aspects of insurance that diabetics have to deal with, like premiums, deductibles, Copay, coinsurance, coverage limits, out-of-pocket maximums, explanation of benefits, approved drugs, in-network versus out-of-network, doctors, hospitals, treatments, vision and dental coverage. And fun fact, vision and dental may or may not count towards your medical deductible depending on your plan. Then there's also flexible spending accounts, health savings accounts, prior authorization, and a lot more. And we're not going to cover like literally everything because that would be a really long episode, but we're just going to touch on the highlights. Yeah, we're going to touch on the important big ideas. Yeah. So right now in the, in the United States, you can stay on your parents' insurance plan until you're 26 years old. And if you're employed at a company that offers healthcare coverage before this age, you can and you should take advantage of double coverage, meaning that your employer insurance is your primary and your parents' is the secondary insurance. And I got close to zero cost supplies for four years thanks to this. Very nice. It was pretty awesome. I got a Good. really nice stockpile of supplies. Oh, I bet. Just pile up at that point. Pretty much. I think at one point I had like a year's worth or more, probably like three years worth of Dexcom G5 sensors. Wow. Because I, I would restart them. And then by the time G6 came out, I had I like couldn't use the rest of the G5. So like extra supplies. Yeah. At that point, you could always give it away to someone too. Pretty much. Yeah. 
Okay, so one of the main aspects of insurance is premiums. Insurance premiums are based on the type of medical care that a person will need. So like diabetics need insulin, cancer patients need chemotherapy, and stuff like that to stay alive. A quote from a website that I found that will be mentioned in the show notes says that the level of premium is intended to reflect the likelihood that members of insured groups will incur medical costs equal to the projected loss ratio or less. So a higher premium means you're more likely to use the insurance coverage. Right, which makes sense. I mean, the more money they have to put into you, the more money they're going to want out of you. Yeah. Insurance companies base the amount of money you spend on the amount of coverage you will get, meaning that the amount of money you spend on a plan is to encourage someone who will need it to use it and for those who don't need it just to have it and choose not to use it. So for diabetics, we need it. And so our payments on insurance will reflect that. And then for someone who doesn't have diabetes and doesn't have like anything majorly wrong with them, they just have insurance, but they don't use it. So their payment also reflects upon that. Yeah. So it's like insurance is more focused on people who actually don't need it instead of those who really are sick and do need it, which seems counterintuitive. It is. But, you know, insurance is like it's a huge money maker for people. Yeah. Especially because premiums tend to go up every year. Ah, yes. Inflation. Eh, maybe not just inflation. Also corporate greed. That's true. Oh, my God. I hate corporate greed. (laughs) Don't even get me started. (laughs) Okay. So deductibles, moving on, is another kind of key piece of insurance. And a deductible is where a policyholder has to pay for some medical treatment costs before the insurance company pays the difference. So, for example, if I had a $3,000 deductible, but my medical costs were $9,000, I'd have to pay the $3,000 before my insurance kicks in and covers the $6,000 difference. Right. And your deductible and premium amounts depend on the type of insurance plan you have. So this is where Colleen comes in. (laughs) (laughs) So um, my company has three different levels of insurance. They're called PPOA, PPOB, and HDHP slash HSA. And I think among private insurance carriers, this distribution is kind of normal. I don't know if it's different for the health care exchange, though. So PPOA, which I have, is the highest premium cost, but the lowest deductible. And this combination is the best fit for me and my diabetes because one shipment of supplies in January erases my $500 deductible for the entire year. And it covers 90% of my costs after I meet the deductible and copays. PPOB is the middle ground. It has a lower premium but a higher deductible and only covers about 80% of costs after you meet the copay and the deductible. HDHP slash HSA is the acronym for High Deductible Health Plan with a Health Savings Account. It's kind of a mouthful. It has the lowest premium, but it has the highest deductible, which kind of makes sense. But that deductible is often in the thousands of dollars, and you can't have an HSA without an HDHP. So HDHPs are really good for families that can afford to meet that deductible, but also don't expect a lot of costs. And this is not a good option for diabetics who carry insurance by themselves. And I wanted to have an HDHP slash HSA plan for the longest time because I was drawn to the fact that you can use an HSA as, a, as another form of investment on top of like a 401k and an IRA. And then some companies even offer em- employer matches to contributions on HSAs. But because it would have been cost prohibitive for me to have that, there's just no way I can have an HDHP plan. Um, yeah. 
you also can't have an HDHP plan with the secondary insurance. So if you have primary and secondary, like we talked about earlier, if your primary is HDHP, you cannot have secondary. Well, that's counterintuitive. It's kind of annoying, but I guess that's how it works. Yeah. So deductible plans for families are different, like the family plan. The primary carrier on the plan has an individual deductible, and then the dependents all have their own deductibles, and together it's like a family deductible. So I can meet my individual deductible and then move on to coinsurance without my husband's unmet deductible affecting that. So he's got his own medical costs and I've got my own. So they're separate but equal. They're separate but together, and it's really confusing. Yeah, that sounds like it. (laughs) So next is out-of-pocket maximums, and I like to abbreviate this as OOPM or OOPMS, but I'll just say <laughs> out-of-pocket maximum because it you know, won't confuse people. And these also depend on the plan you pick. The highest premium slash lowest deductible will also have the lowest out-of-pocket maximum. And after you hit your out-of-pocket maximum, insurance pays for 100% of all medical costs until coverage limits kick in. Very nice. So another part of insurance is copayments. So for each type of treatment or provider given to a patient, the patient also has to pay for a portion of that medical care. This price can vary depending if someone is on like Medicare or Medicaid or like financial help from the government. Yeah. And different insurance plans have different copays. So for my insurance, it's usually about $20 per visit for a primary care physician but specialists have a higher copay, and the definition of specialist depends on your insurance plan. But with other insurances I've had, that copay was $30, $40, sometimes $50. So it just really depends. And copays are waived when the patient reaches their out of pocket maximum. So once I hit that OOPM, then I won't have to pay anymore until that coverage limit. And then the other piece of all of this is coinsurance. It's kind of like a copay, except that it's a percentage of the total cost of medical services or supplies. And patients are often responsible for both a copay and coinsurance for one service. So, for example, if my dermatology copay is $20 and they do a biopsy, I'm responsible for paying the $20 copay and 10% of the cost of the biopsy since my insurance covers 90% of my costs. And coinsurance is also waived when you reach your out of pocket maximum. Okay, very cool. And then to go along with this, there are coverage limits. Usually insurance companies have a cap on how much they will spend on coverage options for people ranging from a half a million to a million dollars. And this can be over a course of a year or lifetime, or it can be over both. So if someone had a half a million dollar coverage plan and needed $100,000 for medical coverage, That means they'd have an extra $400,000 that year for just-in-case coverage. So if they had a relapse or if they needed physical therapy or something like that. But with higher coverage caps, it usually comes with a higher premium or a deductible. Yeah, and coverage limits are kind of interesting because if you have a really, 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 really expensive cost and your coverage limit is less than what you're expecting to pay, then you're responsible for the difference. You are, which is really unfair to the patients. Yeah, so like premature kids, like preemies, those I know can be really expensive because the NICU costs are just astronomical. They are, and then they also have to pay for like special ointments for their skin, special diapers, and like, because their skin is so fine. Yeah, And that was also an example on moneycrashers.com on how insurance works. And we'll link to that in the show notes. 
So what insurance covers really depends if you haven't already picked that up yet. Different insurance plans have different coverages for treatments, procedures, drugs, and therapies. So we mentioned earlier on in the episode that Boeing Insurance covers Humalog Insulin as the preferred brand, but my insurance covers Novolog. So some plans include chiropractic, massage, mental health therapy, and even sterilization like vasectomies and tube tying, but other plans don't. And then some insurances even have preferred insulin pump brands like Medtronic or Omnipod, but other plans let you pick which pump you want. So in February of this year, 2019, United Healthcare signed an exclusive agreement with Medtronic that limits their policyholders to only Medtronic pumps specifically for 7 to 17-year-olds. They already had a Medtronic-only policy for adults, but they previously let children have their pick of the pumps. But now it's a lot harder to acquire a pump based on preference or need for the child. Which is highly, highly ridiculous because it should be both parent, patient, and doctor decision on what type of pump a child should have or anyone should have, especially if they want to switch or something's not working for them. Right. So if like my insurance told me I had to go back to Medtronic, I would fight that tooth and nail because I love my Tandem Plus Dexcom. Exactly. And if, I mean, the same thing for me, if they force me to go on a different pump that I know nothing about because I've been on Medtronic my whole life, I would fight that completely because I'm comfortable with what I have. Yeah. And then insurance. So the things that insurance doesn't cover is those are called exclusions. These are elective treatments and procedures that insurance does not cover like at all. And these are things like cosmetic surgery, excess skin removal, bariatric surgery, and a lot of others. So another part of insurance is in-network versus out-of-network. Insurance providers negotiate special pricing with preferred medical providers. So these are called networks. In-network, the practitioners providing the greatest discounts are considered to be in-network. Insurance companies encourage policyholders to utilize in-network providers by covering all or a majority of the provider's fees in accordance with negotiated rates between provider and insurer and may also reduce copays or coinsurance when the in-network provider is used. And then in contradiction to that, there is out-of-network. So practitioners and medical providers who have not negotiated a preferred rate or minimal discounts are considered to be out-of-network. Policyholders who elect to use out-of-network providers will usually have to pay higher fees for similar services provided by an in-network provider and may additionally incur a higher copay and higher percentage of coinsurance. Something I forgot to mention earlier on is that a lot of insurance plans will cover preventative care completely, so it won't even be a, a copay. So my dermatology like skin checks are completely covered. Which makes sense because they want to save money in the long run. Yeah. So next we're going to talk a little bit about COBRA, which is kind of an extension of corporate insurance after the primary policyholder is let go or just leaves the company. So COBRA stands for the Consolidated Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act, which is a freaking mouthful. So which is why we call it COBRA. And it's a health insurance program that allows an eligible employee or his slash her dependents continued benefits of health care coverage in case that employee loses his or her job or experiences a reduction of work hours. So employers in the United States are required to provide health insurance to their qualifying employees by paying part of that insurance premium. So in case the employee becomes ineligible to receive an employer's health insurance benefits due to a variety of reasons like getting laid off or falling below a minimum threshold number of hours worked per week, 
the employer may stop paying its share of employees' health insurance premiums. And then that means the employee has to pick that up. So the COBRA thing was in 1986, and this allows former employees, retirees, spouses, former spouses, and dependent children to obtain continued health insurance coverage at group rates that otherwise might be terminated. So while these individuals will likely pay more for health insurance coverage through COBRA than they would have as an employee as a result of the fact that the employer no longer pays a portion of the premium costs, COBRA coverage is typically less expensive than individual health insurance plans on the market, but it's still really expensive. And it's important to note that COBRA is a health insurance coverage program and plans may cover costs towards prescription drugs, dental treatments, and vision care, but it doesn't include life insurance or disability insurance. And it's limited in duration. So it's like, I think, two years maybe. And then you have to either get your own insurance or you go uninsured. Right. This also applies to people who get laid off from specific companies. So Boeing, also Talking Rain, does this too. Okay. I think probably most employers do. I know when I was kicked off my dad's insurance earlier this year, they sent Boeing sent me a COBRA letter and I didn't actually have to do anything because I was already covered by my primary. So talking about total cost, in 2019, I expect to pay about $4,500 just in premiums to cover me and my husband. And that's not including the $2,200 I have taken out of my paycheck for my flexible spending account, which I use to cover eligible medical costs like everything that has to do with diabetes. And that's over $550 a month out of my paycheck to go towards healthcare. And although the American healthcare system does need to be reformed to a very big degree, it does seem to work out for a lot of people. For instance, those with a company policy pay less because the company they work for pays for most of the costs. Yeah, it's, it's really kind of unfortunate that our healthcare system isn't better right now. Because I've heard that like one third of the workforce in, the, in like the next couple of years is going to be freelance and freelance is not covered by employer insurance. No. Yeah. That's not good for a lot of people. Even though the American system does have a lot of issues and it does need to be reformed and, you know, updated, like a phone needs to be updated. It's <laughs> a good analogy. I mean, it is. With moving times, there has to be updates. It does work out for a lot of people because it covers so many options and it's so double checked for people who have to rely on this stuff. Like if our insulin wasn't, you know, double checked, triple checked by the FDA or the other programs that the government has, we could be in very big trouble. Yeah. So non-medical switching. Non-medical switching is a term for an insurance company or policy forcing a change to the insured patient's medication, durable medical equipment, or both. Drugs, treatments, devices, and supplies are not one-size-fits-all, so non-medical switching is especially tough to swallow for diabetics. As someone who grew up on Humalog and was forced over to Novolog, although I had tried Epidra, I didn't mind the first switch since Novolog worked a lot better. But then I went off that insurance, and my dad's insurance became primary again, and then they wanted to force me back onto Humalog, so I had to prove through testing and my doctor's correspondence with the insurance company that I needed Novolog. And so my dad's insurance agreed to cover it, but at a higher cost because it was a different tier of drug based on negotiated rates. The Alliance for Patient Access made a really nice video about non-medical switching, which we'll link to in the show notes. So explanation of benefits, a document provided by the insurance company that summarizes what's been covered in the last period, usually a month. 
and what you're expected to owe. This is not a bill, but is used as a supporting document for when you need to request reimbursement from the FSA or HSA account. It also gives you a reference to ask your healthcare providers questions when you don't understand or agree with what's on it. And just a reminder, FSA stands for Flexible Spending Account, and HSA is Health Savings Account. So the HSA goes with the HDHP, and the FSA is for basically anything else. So it's important to review the EOB in case something or someone made an error. Coding issues can occur a lot and show up in EOBs as amounts higher than what you're really responsible for, or it shows up as a procedure you never had, and you're like, what is this? So I've had EOBs show responsibilities in the, th in the thousands of dollars because the provider didn't bill my primary insurance or like completely forgot about my secondary insurance. And that's when you call the provider and tell them to run it again because the EOB is not a bill. It just tells you what you're responsible for. Which makes sense. Kind of. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> now, there are a lot of problems with insurance companies. A good example of this would be that even today, my insurance company sometimes sends me supplies that I don't need or even want. And although I love having the extra supplies around my house for emergencies or in case some other diabetic needs it, it makes me worry about them not sending me the right supplies or not sending me enough or not getting me the supplies that I need in time. Like if, if they said they sent my pump and it didn't come today. Oh, yeah. Stuff like that. And then one time I did run out of sensor changeouts because they couldn't send enough to me in time. And a lot of the times this isn't necessarily like an insurance problem, but it's a problem with the companies that we're dealing with. Like my third party providers sending me the wrong tubing for my sites. It, <laughs> that wasn't an insurance problem. That was, that was Edgepark's problem. Right. It was, it can lead to company problems as well. Yeah. So that is the end of our spiel on insurance. And now we're going to talk about what's up with diabetes in the news. So Tandem actually submitted their Control IQ hybrid closed loop algorithm to the FDA. And this is pretty cool. So Tandem has something called the Basal IQ algorithm, which prevents lows. And that was approved by the FDA in mid to late 2018. I only got that software update in February of 2019, so the fact that Tandem is moving fast to get the algorithm for high blood sugars approved is really good. The Control IQ algorithm is Tandem's version of Medtronic's auto mode. Which I am on. Right. So an excerpt from the article that we'll link to in the show notes. If the FDA approves this, a U.S. launch is, ex is expected at the end of 2019 for people's ages 14 years and older. Because correctly dosing insulin is challenging, the automated features of Control IQ are very appealing. The changes are designed to decrease the burden for people with diabetes and to improve blood sugar management. So it's a free software update for those currently in warranty with their T-SLIMs and for those who buy a T-SLIM before December 31st, 2020. And I think this is the highlight that we're all looking for. Give automated boluses to correct for high blood sugars. In addition to adjusting basal rates to keep blood sugar in range, Control IQ will give automated boluses up to once per hour during the day. If a user forgets to bolus, Control IQ will automate and give approximately 60% of a full correction bolus with a target of 110 mgDL. Users will still need to bolus insulin before mealtime. And bonus, it also has an exercise mode. I am so looking forward to this software update. As you should be. They're great. Okay, so our question for the week, since we got through our diabetic news, is what are your biggest gripes with insurance? And related to that, do you have a good experience with insurance as a type 1 diabetic? I would like to answer this, but 
I can't think of any good interactions with insurance. <laughs> there are no good. In- there are none. None. <laughs> I, I think if you have the patience to call them and like sit through a 30 minute hold, then I don't know. People yeah. on the other side are still people. So it's good to treat them as people. Of course, always. You should always treat your customer representative with respect and, you know, courtesy that you would want to be treated with. They might even commiserate with you. They might even treat you better than you expected. Exactly. All right. So that is it for this episode of This is Type 1. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 7. That's the number 7. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode, please leave us a comment or send an email. And now you can actually go straight to the podcast page by going to thisistype1.com with the number one, not the word one. Our music is by Joseph McDade and our audio wizard is my husband, Tim. I'm on all social media as at Inspired Forward and our email is Colleen at inspiredforward.com. And I'm on Instagram at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type one diabetes or the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends and leave us a review or rating on iTunes or wherever you listen, since that helps other people find us. Be sure to listen in next week when we talk with Jessie's mom about her perspectives as a parent of a kid with type 1. Remember, you control your diabetes, it doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.